0: So this is the second lecture of this evening, regarding this topic of magic. And this lecture, as you have seen, it is entitled, Tawheed, the Cure to Magic. And in this lecture, we're now going to discuss how a person's state should be in his life. How a person's safeguard should be at all times, to protect himself from magic and protect himself from any other affair, the evil eye, or magic, or envy, to attempt to protect himself from the evils of the shayateen and their whispers, then a person needs to have a safeguard. A person needs to have the defense within himself. So we're now going to discuss this aspect of Tawheed, which is the basis of our existence to worship Allah upon this Tawheed, and to be continuously and always upon this state of Tawheed. For an individual who is upon that state, upon the state of Tawheed, then that is the individual who has the strength and the defense in of himself. As for a person who is negligent and ignorant of Tawheed, negligent and ignorant of its meaning and its practice, then that is the person that leaves himself exposed. Leaves himself exposed to magic, leaves himself exposed to other evils. So a person must be aware of what this tawheed is. Consider for example, ayatul kursi as an example of the strength of tawheed. As an example of the strength of Tawheed, it is mentioned about Ayatul Kursi. Ayatul Kursi that everybody knows. Allah la ilaha al هو الحي Qayyum. This ayah, al Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, that when the magicians, they used to fly on the carpets, the magicians, they used to have the jinn working with them. And they used to fly up into the skies on the carpets. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said A person with tawheed in his heart If he was to recite ayatul kursi With that tawheed and iman and certainty in his heart With the understanding of ayatul kursi What Allah is saying within that ayah What are the meanings of it? If a person was to recite it with that certainty and iman and understanding, those magicians upon hearing it would no longer be able to maintain flying in the sky. The jinn would collapse from the strength of hearing ayatul kursi upon them. This is mentioned by al Islam ibn Taymiyyah. A person if he was to recite ayatul kursi with iman and certainty then those jinn that were flying up in the skies with the magicians, they would be unable to carry on doing that. The strength of ayatul kursi upon them, they would collapse and they'd no longer be able to maintain flight in the sky. This is mentioned regarding these power and the strength of the Qur'an, of tawheed, of iman. So, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us for that very purpose. Created us for the purpose of worshipping Him upon ta'lheed. Allah told us in the Qur'an, Wa ma wal-insa illa liya'budoon. That I did not create the jinn or the humans except to worship me. In this ayah we have the explanation... As to why we were created, the explanation as to why we are here, our existence, the objective of our creation, and that is to worship Allah upon Tawheed, to fortify ourselves, to make our state and our condition and our lives to be built upon that Tawheed. Allah says He did not create us for any other reason other than to worship Him on that tawheed. So this therefore becomes clear to us that the greatest objective and the greatest purpose that we need to fulfill is that tawheed. Because indeed Allah created us for that. We were not created to play around and to waste the time and to talk and walk and eat and drink but rather we were created for that purpose of fulfilling this Tawheed. Then, to highlight the importance of this even further, we know that this message of Tawheed, it has existed from the very beginning. From the very beginning, the origin, the origin of the creation of mankind was upon Tawheed. Unlike what some of the people of deviancy will say, that initially, originally, mankind was created not knowing. Some of the people of deviation, they will say that originally, mankind was created not knowing. They had to look and observe and investigate. They didn't realize about the Creator. They didn't realize about that The heed of worship they didn't know about these affairs and they had to investigate. But the reality is, Allah created mankind upon this tawheed. The origin is this tawheed. Just as the Prophet ﷺ said, Kullu ala Every child is born upon the natural disposition. That tawheed, that natural basis... ثُمَّ Then it is his parents who will cause him to become a Christian or a Jew or a Majan or whatever the religion may be or whatever path he traverses upon thereafter. But originally, then it is tawheed in the hearts. That's why Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari, Kana Baina Adam Wa Noh, Alayim Asalam, Asharata Purun, Kulluhum Alatulheed. That there were ten generations between Adam and Nur alayhim. Ten generations between them. And all of them were upon tawheed. All of them were worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon tawheed from the time of Adam salam up until the people of Nuh a.s. or thereabouts, when the first shirk appeared. So when that shirk it appeared, when the people, they were saddened by the loss of the righteous amongst them, and then eventually in the end, after various stages they made some figurines, some models, some pictures of those righteous individuals until later, when knowledge was forgotten, the people began to worship them. So then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the prophets and the messengers, sent them with the message of Tawheed to every nation. اللَّهَ الطَّاغُوتِ As Allah said, we have sent to every nation a messenger preaching to them. اللَّهَ Worship Allah alone. And stay away from the false deities. Whenever it's mentioned in the Qur'an regarding ibadah, اللَّهَ And in the previous ayah, then as the salaf they used to say, this means, إِلَّا ليوحدون. وحدوا. Make the obedience of Allah, the worship of Allah, upon tawheed. So every prophet and messenger was sent with that same message, the message of tawheed, from Nuh all the way, to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Musa alaihi salam, Isa alaihi salam, all of the prophets and messengers were sent with tawheed. So nobody should be under any misunderstanding that maybe Isa alaihi salam or Musa alaihi salam they came with different religions. They came with tawheed, such that it is mentioned regarding Isa alaihi salam. That he will be asked Aanta wa min dunillah." Did you say to the people, Take me and my mother as two gods besides Allah? Isa السلام, it is mentioned in the Quran, says Subhanaka, May you be far removed from all these deficiencies or evils that I would not say such a speech which is not my right to say. So Isa salam will declare his innocence of this shirk which appeared, the trinity and the other affairs. He will declare his innocence of that. Isa salam, Musa salam, Ibrahim salam. All of the prophets and messengers, they came with one message. And that was the message of Tawhid. How do we know that? Because Allah told us in the Qur'an, all of the prophets and messengers the ones that were sent to the different nations, they all called to the tawheed. So we understand that this must be something of great importance. It must be something of great importance. If this is the same thing that every prophet and messenger was preaching to his people, even sometimes the laws may have been different. The laws, the rules they may have been different, the halal and the haram, it may have been different for different prophets and messengers. But the overall tawhid, that was the same for all of the prophets and messengers. An example of that, at the time of Yusuf salam. At the time of Yusuf salam, then it was permitted to bow to someone out of respect and honor, not out of worship. Not to bow to someone out of worship, that would be shirk. But out of honor and respect, then it was allowable. However, in the sharia of Muhammad sallallahu wasallam, then is it permissible to bow or to bend to anyone, even if it's just out of respect? Nothing to do with worship. Is it allowed? It is not allowed. It is haram, impermissible to do that. So you see sometimes maybe some of the laws may have been different. But the overall message of Tawheed was the same every time. So if that is the case, that we know all of the prophets and messengers were teaching their people this Tawheed, and we know that this Tawheed, that is our defense, that is the salvation, that is what will save us in the hereafter, that is what will aid us and protect us in this world, then we need to know what that is. We need to know what that is, how it works, how we practice it, in order that we then have a defense for ourselves. We then have in our hearts this Tawheed. The Tawheed that the Prophet wasallam preached for 13 years in Mecca, and for the remainder of the time in Medina. To such an extent, that the second highest pillar of Islam, the prayer even that was not established for years. Years after the prophethood. 10 or 11 or 12 years, up until close to the time of when it occurred, al-Isra al miraj That was approximately 10, 11, 12 years after the prophethood. So if that's when the prayer was established, then what were the Muslims doing for the first 10 years? For the first 12 years? If the prayer hadn't been established in that way yet, they were preaching tawheed. The Prophet ﷺ was preaching tawheed to them. We know that also from the example of how the Qur'an was revealed. The very beginning of the Qur'an when it was revealed, the opening revelations from اقرأ bismi ربك ladhi khalaq Read in the name of your Lord who created. After this was revealed, after this surah, then for a time, the revelation it stopped. But then when it began again, it began with, يَا Al Muddathir ثُمْ فَأَنذِرْ The one enveloped in the clothing, then stand, arise, and warn. Warn the people from what? As it mentions later on, وَالرُّجْزَ فَهْجُرْ The idols and the statues, abandon them. So the very first opening parts of the revelation of the Qur'an, they were talking about Tawhid. So you see, that even though sins like stealing and fornication and drinking alcohol, these are serious affairs, yet they were not the opening parts of the revelation. They weren't the first things that we were taught, make sure you don't drink alcohol, make sure you don't fornicate. They weren't the opening aspects. The opening aspects were this tawhid, for it to settle in the hearts of the people. As the scholars, they say, At-Tahliya, or rather At-Tahliya, Qabla Tahliya. That you have to purify and remove any obstacles, before you can then place that pure tawhid into the hearts. So consider for 10 or 12 years, The Prophet ﷺ was preaching that tawheed even before the prayer commandment had come. All of this shows to us the importance of it to such a degree that even certain things which are halal, the Prophet ﷺ had initially stopped the Muslims from doing them to make sure that there would not be any door left open to shirk. So for example, visiting the graveyards, which is one of the greatest reasons which ends up in shirk. It is allowed to visit the graveyards though, to go and give salam upon the people, to ask Allah to forgive them. But in the early stages of Islam, then it was prohibited. The Prophet ﷺ said, Kuntu qad نَهَيْتُكُمْ ala fazuruha. الاخرة, that I used to prevent you from going to the graveyard, but now you can go, because they remind you of the hereafter. So initially the Prophet ﷺ stopped them, in order to make sure the door was closed. There was no possibility of anyone going to the graves, and ending up doing something which was an act of shirk. Or for them to go to the graves, and for their actions to lead one to the next until it becomes something of shirk. So that door was closed until the people, they learnt the tawhid firmly in their hearts. So if we understand all of that, and we understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned the great virtues of this tawhid, that not only is it a protection for you and a barrier and a defense and a safeguard, For the one who is upon tawheed, upon certainty, upon the tawakkul with Allah, or upon Allah, dependence and reliance and trust in Allah. When a person realizes that this is what saves an individual in the hereafter too, let alone in this world, having that as a safeguard, as a defense, as strength in of yourself, against the likes of the magicians and others. Then in the hereafter, on top of that, this tawheed is what will uh, be from the major actions of goodness that Allah rewards the people with paradise upon. Just like it is mentioned about that individual. A person will come on the day of judgment, and he will have 99 scrolls full of evil deeds. Every scroll when you roll it out, It goes as far as the eyesight can see. The scrolls, they roll out as far as the eyesight can see. That's one scroll. Then he has another scroll and it rolls out as far as the eyesight can see. Then another one, and another one. 99 of them. All of them full of evil deeds. All of them full of evil deeds. And it will be said to him, have you got anything good? He will say nothing. But then it will say, it will be said to him that nobody will be oppressed on this day. No one is going to have wrong done to them on this day. Then one more scroll will be brought out. And on that final scroll it says, La ilaha illallah, the shahada. So when the weighing scale is brought out, and these 99 scrolls of evil deeds are placed on one. And the la ilaha illallah is placed on the other. Then which of them is heavier in the weighing scales? The la ilaha illallah. That is heavier than 99 scrolls as far as the eyesight can see full of evil deeds. This shows to you the strength and the great virtue of this Turheed. Not only is it something of beneficial, beneficial to you, beneficial to you in this world, but of course, it is something that saves a person in the hereafter. Look at this narration now regarding Muadh ibn Jabal, one of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu Muadh ibn Jabal, on one occasion, he was riding on a donkey with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, "Do you know what the right of Allah is upon His servants, and what the right of the servants is upon Allah?" So then, afterwards, the Prophet ﷺ told him. He said, "حق الله على العباد." أَنْ يَعْبُدُوهُ وَلَا يُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا That the right of Allah upon His servants is, the right of Allah upon the slaves, the servants is, that they worship Him alone upon Tawhid and do not commit any form of shirk. Then the Prophet said, وَحَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهُ أَنْ لَا يُعَذِّبَ مَنْ لا يشرك به شيئا. The right of the servants upon Allah. Not that we actually have any rights, but this is a virtue that Allah has given us. A reward that Allah has promised us. And that is that Allah will not punish the one who does not commit the shirk. i.e. he is upon tawheed. So look at the great virtue of that. That Allah saves that individual... As a consequence of this Tawheed that he is upon, Allah will not punish that person because of the perfection of his Tawheed. In another hadith, ibn Samit, الله anhu, قال, In another hadith, he says, ibn Samit, الله anhu, that the Prophet said, Man shahida an la ilaha illallah wa ووحده لا sharika la. Wa anna and Abedu were Wa Solo, one Naisa Abedullah, Wa were a Solo, Wakalimatu, who Al Kaha, Ila Mariam, or Ruhan Minhu, while Jenna Hak, one Nar Hak, other Halahullah, who Jenna Alamakan, Minal Amel. In this Hadith, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Sallam said, Whoever testifies that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. Whoever testifies, understands and practices that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that Muhammad sallallahu sallam is the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah. And this is the way of Ahl-Sunnah to balance the affair. The Messenger of Allah is the servant of Allah. And at the same time, He is the best of the creation and the Messenger of Allah. So whoever testifies to that, whoever testifies that Muhammad is the servant of Allah and the Messenger of Allah, and that Isa salam is the servant of Allah and the Messenger of Allah, and the soul that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, the word that was cast upon Maryam, then that in the end, and he believes that paradise is truth, and the hellfire is real and true, then whomsoever has this aqeedah, has this tawheed, has this certainty, has this belief, then that individual, it is mentioned, adkhalahu Jannah, Allah will enter him into paradise. عَلَى مَا كَانَ مِنَ العمل, Upon whatever his actions are. If he has a great degree of actions, then he'll be entered into a higher level. If he has less actions, he'll be entered into a lower level. But that he will enter into paradise as a consequence of this عَقِيدَةً and تَوْحِيد in his heart. So a person should realize the importance of this تَوْحِيد and عَقِيدَةً Realize that the protection and the salvation, it lies within that. And this is the distinguishing factor. The distinguishing factor of Ahlul Sunnah from Ahlul Bid'ah. This is one of them, that Ahlul Sunnah, they preach and they call to and they give da'wah to, the basis and the fundamental of the religion that will give you salvation in the hereafter. And that is knowing this tawheed. Time is not wasted talking about organizing the next demonstration, or talking about the next rally. Time is not wasted in that way, as some of the people they do. Their whole event will be about the rulers. Their whole event will be about making the next demonstration. And people they come out of that event of theirs, and they haven't heard barely any ayat of the Qur'an, they haven't heard barely any ahadith from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. They haven't learned what will protect them in this world and what will give them salvation in the hereafter. They haven't learned any of that. And all they've learned is how they are to abuse the Muslim rulers and how they are to go out against them and how they are to do demonstrations. So they learn foolishness and they waste their time. Whereas Ahlul Sunnah then they speak of these affairs of importance. They speak of the basis of the religion. That basis that the Prophet ﷺ spent all of his life teaching, 10 or 12 years in Makkah, just on taruhid. Not even the prayer had been established in that way. So this shows to you that a person begins with those basics. The hadith of the individual now, one parchment with La ilaha illallah on it, and it will outweigh all of those others with the evil deeds, 99 of them. So look at the great balance, the great virtue of Tawheed over the sins, and how it expiates the sins. Also, there is an ayah in the Quran which clarifies this further. Because many of the people now they will say that of course we are up on tawheed. They will say of course we are all upon on We are not committing any shirk at all. If you ask them what is shirk then? They'll say shirk is bowing down to idols like the Buddhists they do. They'll say shirk is bowing down to cows and monkeys and statues and things like some of the mushrikeen they do. They say that's shirk. We're not committing any of that. So we're safe, we're protected, we have the safeguard, we have the defense. And the reality is, the affair is much greater than that. The affair is much greater than that. It is not simply bowing down to the idols. There are many affairs. So now consider, consider how some of the people, they go to the graveyards. And they make du'a to the people in the graves, asking them to take their du'a to Allah, asking them for intercession with Allah, asking them to get them closer to Allah. And this is what some of the people they teach. They say, we are sinners. We are sinners. How can we make du'a to Allah directly? Our du'a will not be accepted. Instead they say you need to go to the grave of such and such pious person. He was a pious and righteous man. Go to his grave, make dua there, ask him to take your dua to Allah. That will have more chance of it being accepted. But you a sinner, if you make dua, how is it going to be accepted? So the masakeen, the ignorant ones, they go to the graves and they make the dua to the dead in the graves. Claiming that these are awliya of Allah, these are the peer. And this in of itself is the type of shirk that the mushrikeen were committing at the time of the Prophet sallallahu They would go to the graves and they would seek intercession via the deceased in the graves. They would seek closeness to Allah via them. As Allah said in the Qur'an, they would say, we do not worship them, we do not worship these other deities, except for these deities to bring us closer to Allah. So they wanted intercession via them. And nowadays the people, they still remain upon those beliefs. So how does an individual expect to have the safeguard and to have the defense and to have the tawheed in his heart, and to be protected from magic and the evil eye and the affairs. When an individual is engaging himself in all types of acts of shirk perhaps, all types of acts of bid'ah and innovation, all types of acts of sins and disobedience, a person needs to look at his own state of affairs, look at his own state of affairs, look at what his situation is, Allah said in the Qur'an, ظَهَرَ الْفَسَادُ فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ The corruption has occurred upon the land and the earth because of what the hands of the people have earned for themselves. So if an individual now, he has no defense in of himself, he doesn't understand tawheed, he doesn't understand the correct Aqeedah. He doesn't understand what iman is, what to do. He doesn't read the Qur'an, he doesn't know what Allah has said in the Qur'an. He doesn't know anything about hadith, he doesn't know anything about the religion. Then how is that individual going to give himself a defense against the evildoers? How is that individual going to protect himself against the whisperings of the shaitan? Rather an individual needs to be upon knowledge. That's why Allah said in the Qur'an, هَلْ يَسْتَوِي الذين يعلمون والذين لا يعلمون? Are they the same? The ones who have knowledge and the ones who don't? The ones who have knowledge compared to the ones who do not have any knowledge? Can it be said that the two of them are the same? It cannot. It cannot be said they are the same. The one who is ignorant and he knows nothing of his religion... Compared to the one who studies and learns and strives to understand this Tawheed and Aqeedah and the principles, then that individual, Allah raises them. That individual, he has the certainty and the strength in his heart. And that's why, similarly, Allah said, That the ones who truly fear Allah, the ones who truly fear Allah, they are the scholars. Because they are the people of knowledge who know about Allah. They know about the aqeedah. They know about the tawhid. They are the ones who are able to then live their lives in accordance to how Allah commanded us to live our lives. They are the ones who understand what tawhid is and what the different types of shirk are. So then after understanding all of those great virtues, we should now come to the point of explaining some of the details of this tawheed. Tawheed. when we talk about tawheed, then that is something which means to single out and to make unique. To single out and to make unique. To single out Allah and to make Allah unique in terms of various aspects. One of those aspects is ar rububiyyah To single out Allah and make Allah unique with regards to Allah's actions. So what are the actions of Allah that we must make Allah single and unique in? And we cannot say that anybody else participates with Allah in those actions. They are things like creating the heavens and the earth, the creation of the heavens and the earth. And that is an action that Allah did alone, and nobody else participated or aided in that. The giving of life and death. Then it is Allah who does that alone. And no other individual has the ability to do that. So you should not be concerned that this individual or that individual or this fear as they say, or that one, he has some ability or power. Rather all of that is in the control of Allah. The giving of the life and the death and the controlling of all of the universe and everything that happens. All of these are actions that are specific to Allah. Allah. So you must, as a part of your tawheed, make those actions specific to Allah. You cannot then believe that there's going to be some wali from the awliya of Allah as they claim. If you can't have a child, go to him, he'll wipe over you and you'll be able to have a child. You can't believe those types of things then. You can't believe, be upon that type of aqeedah. Because then that is going against the tawheed of Allah, That is a type of action that only Allah can do. Giving life and death, bringing about the children in the wombs of the mothers, blowing that soul into them. That is not the peer of the wali from the awliya of Allah who will do that. Yet how many people across the world, they still fall into those things? You can't have a child for 10 years, they tell you to go to some people, the awliya of Allah as they claim. Give them some money, they'll make some du'a for you, blow on you, wipe on you. You'll be able to have a child afterwards, MashaAllah. And this is what some other people, they still believe. They fall into this ignorance due to their lack of understanding. The correct Aqeedah. So, one of the aspects of Tawheed is that things which are unique and specific to Allah, and nobody else can do them, then we specify that they are specific and unique to Allah. Secondly, there is another type of tawheed, another type of singling out Allah, and that is with regards to our actions. Ar-Rububiyyah, the first type, was singling out Allah with His actions. The second type is singling out Allah with our actions. So what are our actions that we have to single out Allah with? All of our worship, your prayer and your zakat, and your hajj and your umrah and your sadaqah, your charity, all of the various acts of worship you do, then they must be singled out to Allah alone. That is a part of this tawhid we're talking about. To single out every act of obedience to Allah. Waannal Allah. فَلَا تَدْعُوا اللَّهِ آخر. That indeed all of the masajid, they belong to Allah. Either the physical masajid or your places of prostration. So do not use those to worship gods besides Allah. Any act of worship, if you give it to anyone else besides Allah, then that becomes an error straight away. Even dua, making dua is an act of worship. You raise your hands and you make dua to Allah, that is an act of worship. The hadith, it mentions dua is an act of worship. So now, if we know that dua is an act of worship, and Allah says in the Qur'an also that it qarib. Allah says, I answer the call of the one who calls upon me. And when Allah descends in the last third of the night, Allah descends in the last third of the night and says, Man yas who is asking me for anything and I'll give it to them. So we know that dua is an act of worship. If that is the case, then we know. It is impermissible to make du'a to anyone else besides Allah. Even if you're making that du'a to the Prophet ﷺ, it becomes impermissible. Because the Prophet ﷺ is the best of creation, the final messenger. But the tawheed of rububiyyah, uluhiyyah, that is for Allah alone. Making the du'a is to Allah alone. You direct that to Allah, not even to the Prophets and the Messengers. Because even the mushrikeen at the time of the Prophet some of them used to worship Prophets and Messengers. Yet they were termed as mushrikeen. And the Prophet fought against them. Even though they used to go and make dua to the Prophets and Messengers. Because that is still shirk. Asking the Prophet to make intercession for you now. Going there, making dua, facing the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, asking him, this is haram, it is impermissible. Because we know that dua is an act of worship. And any act of worship cannot be directed to others besides Allah. So it is not possible to be able to go to the graves and ask them, to go to the awliya as they claim, and ask them to give me this and give me that. And this is the type of shirk that the people still fall into. This is the type of misbelief that people still fall into. So the second aspect is that with all of our actions, every act of worship, we cannot direct it or even ask via the awliya, as they say, the prophets and messengers. All of our worship goes directly to Allah. Then there is a third aspect which is the names and attributes of Allah. Allah has names and attributes. And we have the aqidah regarding the names and attributes, the aqidah of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, that we understand about Allah. So we understand that Allah is greater than anything in creation. And we understand that Allah is above creation separate and distinct from creation. You cannot say that Allah is with us here everywhere, mixed in with us. That is the belief of the misguided ones. Allah's knowledge is everywhere, yes. Allah hears everything, yes. Allah sees everything, yes. But we do not say Allah is here everywhere now, in the creation mixed in. That is the belief of the people of deviation. But again, how many people out there They believe Allah is everywhere. You ask them, where is Allah? They'll say, everywhere. And this is not the aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah. So you see how many errors the people in the society they have. Then these errors they need to be rectified. These errors need to be corrected. So that everybody understands the reality of who their creator is. They understand the reality of who their Lord is. They understand Allah is above the creation, distinct and separate, the mighty, the majestic. And not that Allah is mixed in here amongst everything wal Riyadu Billah. They understand the different names of Allah. That Allah has different names and they have different meanings. Allah, Al Rahman, Ar Rahim, different names. When people understand about Allah and they understand about their religion and they understand about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa then all of that is what strengthens the person. All of that is what gives you that defense in your heart to protect you and not to be fearful of the jinnah and to be fearful of the whispers of this one or that one and to be fearful of that or this or whatever it may be. Rather, your fear is in Allah, and your trust is in Allah, and your dependence is in Allah. That is for the one who seeks the knowledge of the religion, and understands and recognizes that. Because when a person dies in the grave, then the three questions that every person will be asked in his grave, firstly, Rab rabbuka Who is your Lord? Who is Allah? That will be the first question. Secondly, also, Man Nabiyuka. Who is your Prophet Muhammad? What do you know about him? When was he born? When did he die? What did he teach? How many hadith do you know? What do you know about your Messenger? And thirdly, also, Ma Dinuka. What is your religion? What is Islam? Tell me about Islam. How do you practice Islam? What are the rulings in Islam? What's halal? What's haram? A person needs to have this knowledge. A person wishes to give himself a safeguard against the jinn and the shayateen, then you need to be a person of tawheed. It is the tawheed that makes that individual strong. It is not your physical size. It is not your build. It is the tawheed in the hearts of an individual. The iman and the certainty and the knowledge regarding Allah and the religion. That's what gives an individual the strength. And that is what is needed. That is what is required in this world for you to be kept firm and upright upon that pathway and to be rightly guided in the hereafter. Just as Allah said, يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ ثَابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ That Allah will keep firm Those who believe with a firm speech in this world and with a firm speech in the hereafter. Who are the ones that believe? The ones who have the iman, the ones who seek the knowledge, the ones who act upon the religion. So when it comes to issues of magic, or the evil eye, or the jinn or the shayateen, then the greatest protection you have from all of that is in of yourself to be a muwahid to be a person of tawheed. Just as we said at the very beginning of the lecture, when al Islam said, a person of tawheed, a person of iman, if he was to recite ayatul kursi upon the jinn flying around, they would collapse and fall down. From the power of ayatul kursi, this iman, this tawheed, they would not be able to burden it. So that is what we'll say in brief, regarding the importance and the virtues The extreme importance of learning this tawheed. Because in the hereafter, that's what a person will be judged upon. Whether he did his worship upon tawheed or not. That is the criteria. So it is important upon all of us to learn that and to study that and to practice that during our lifetimes. So we'll conclude upon that short reminder. And we'll finish the event. Unless there is any other announcements. So khalas will conclude upon that point for today. And you should be aware that in Leeds there are lessons every week in this hall. Today was a one-off event, but regularly every week there are lessons here. Every Sunday evening at 7.30 p.m. Every Sunday evening, Sunday evening 7.30 p.m. There is a lesson every week. A lesson talking about tawheed talking about the religion of Islam, talking about who the Prophet Muhammad was, and what he taught us. Learning these hadith and the ayat of the Qur'an, every Sunday at 7.30 here in this hall. So that people who are local, who have the ability to travel and come, then you should make the effort to travel and come, and bring your families, and learn and study the religion of Allah. So we'll conclude upon that point for today. And we hope that everybody has benefited from this event. And we thank you for your attendance. And inshallah ta'ala Allah will make this event today a means of benefit for all of us. A means of giving us insight and understanding into the religion. And a means of encouragement to continue to carry on learning and studying thereafter. So we'll conclude upon that for today. ala اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ نَبِيِّنَا مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ